Mark chapter 2. We're making progress. We made it through the very long chapter of Mark's first chapter there, and uh, we are going to see what we have in store for us this morning after we ask the Lord for his blessing. Heavenly Father, now we just always like to ask the Holy Spirit who's present among us to focus our attention on the Word of God, collect us, Lord, and calm our mind of any distractions so that we could be fully available for the work that you have for us today through the power of your word. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. If we were watching the gospel of Mark take place as a movie, um, here in chapter two, this is the moment, the music in the background that controls your emotions more than you know. Uh, that music would have some subtle changes. There would be suspense, and you would know. You would be signaled, hey, there's some danger. What's going on? There's some evil lurking. But when we look into the crowds, I mean, Jesus is speaking with great authority. He's setting people's hearts free with the truth that only the Son of God could deliver like that in such astonishing ways and accompanying his beautiful teaching with just these powerful miracles of healing. And so you look at this, and in chapter 2, it's early on. You're thinking, why the suspense? Why, why, what's going on? Is there hostility somewhere? Yes, there's hostility in the crowd, but it's not with the regular people. The religious leaders of Israel have visited. They've made the trek from Jerusalem, and they're going to be sitting to observe this new teacher. And so the background music, if as it were, is signaling danger. There's something going on that we need to be aware of. And, you know, Peter's sermon uh, in Acts chapter 10, there in Caesarea, he summed up Jesus' ministry this way, and we're seeing it unfold already. He said, Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. And so we've been seeing that happen. And so what's the problem? How could there be anybody all up in arms about that? Doing good, healing people, pushing back evil influences? Why would anybody be upset about that? Well, if you are under the oppression of the devil, and you sort of like it that way. You're used to the darkness, spiritually speaking, and then somebody comes around with a big light shining it in your eyes. If you're comfortable that you can have your cake and eat it too, and you found a way to be religious and and yet enjoy some of your sins, and then somebody comes around and says, you know, you thought it was all about you. But actually, it's all about me. Wow. 
Those are the people. Now, the next five stories, starting here in Mark chapter 2, going all the way to Mark chapter 3 and verse 6, there are five back-to-back stories that will all show Jesus revealing and exerting his authority and the religious authorities chafing, scoffing, resenting, being hostile to that authority, which will culminate in three years as a full-on rejection and a death sentence because they do not receive the one who came. Now, a really interesting statement in John chapter 1 and verse, I believe it's 11, where he says, Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. And what that statement means is that God took Israel, made some promises to Israel, and said, through you, I will bring the Messiah who will bless the entire world, right? And so he actually said, and this Messiah, who will be the God-man, wonderful counselor, almighty God, they knew there was a son given, a child born. They knew it was a human child, a son of God given, that he would appear and announced to the world that he would save the world from sin. And uh, uh, these fulfillments, these 300 prophecies, the fact that he came from, he was related, Mary was related to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and also related to King David. And God made promises to those men that through your biological DNA, through your ancestry, will come the Savior of the world, born of a virgin. So through Mary, and God just did, did this for fun, through, day, through um, Joseph, they were both, Joseph and Mary were both ancestors of King David. We didn't need Joseph to be related by blood, did we? Because he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. So that, all that to say, he came to his own in that sense, right? But his own that had the heads up, said no. And you're going to see the next five stories are a great illustration of how that rejection, what that rejection looked like with those authorities, right? And so of the five stories, and we're only going to take one at a time, this first story, though the, the authorities... <laughs> get their feathers all ruffled. This encounter happens to be one of the most uh, um, entertaining, most delightful, and insightful uh, passages in the entire Bible. Let's take a look. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered, so many gathered, that there was no room left not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic. He couldn't walk, he was paralyzed, carried by four of them. Since they couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through the roof, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. 
Now, some of the teachers of the law, the law means the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and the Pharisees were there. They're sitting there thinking to themselves, notice, God knows the secrets of our hearts. They're thinking to themselves, why does this guy talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. So he said to them, why are you thinking these Luke adds evil things? Which is easier to say to this man? Your sins are forgiven or get up, take your mat and go home. But that you may know that the Son of Man, the Son of Man is an Old Testament title uh, for the Messiah, that the leaders would know that he's claiming to be. So that you know that the Messiah has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Well, the they who praise God are not the they with the problem, (laughs) right? Which is kind of sadly the case there. The religious ones were the problem makers. So let's break this down. It breaks down pretty easy. You're going to see three things unfold here if you're taking notes. First of all, we're going to see faith in action. Everybody says, yes, I have faith in God. But we're going to get to see what it looks like to have faith in God. And secondly, we're going to hear this provocative claim, a provocative claim. Jesus is saying, in effect, that he has the equality with God to forgive sins. And then he's going to offer point three, undeniable proof. He's going to offer miraculous evidence that he can back up all of his claims by doing what only God can do in a tangible, visible way. And so let's focus on the first uh, opening verses here a few days later when Jesus again enters Capernaum. Now, Capernaum, the little village where Jesus, it's called Jesus' hometown because he kind of, that was uh, command central for 80% of what he's doing there in the region of Galilee. It means village of Nahum, Capernaum, and Nahum means comfort. So of course Jesus is going to uh, make his home in the village of comfort. It's just really cool. So this is meant to tell us that some time has elapsed from last Sunday's text where they were at Peter's house and they're probably at Peter's house again. But remember, it turned into a second day healing um, uh, crusade of sorts and people were coming banging on the doors looking for Jesus the the miracle worker and Jesus said time to move on and preach the gospel because that is why I have come and so he probably took his disciples and he left for neighboring villages called Chorazin or Bethsaida you will go to those triangular cities there in a triangle formation if you come next year to Israel And uh, he preached the gospel. Now he's back in town, and you can't keep Jesus that much of a secret. There he's in that little house, and word gets 
out. Now notice, look, he said, hey, it's not all about the healing, man. I know they're in need, but I came to preach the gospel, so let's go and preach the gospel. Then he comes home, and what do we find him doing? Healing first? No. He's inside doing what he came to do. The, the mission of Christianity, the crux and heartbeat of our lives as Christians, teaching and preaching and declaring the word of God. And so we see him here Teaching the word, Luke uses a word that means to instruct or to unpack a thought, to, um, uh, to apply the truth, right, to teach. So preaching, there's preaching and teaching and teaching and preaching. They're pretty much similar. We tend to think of preaching in the English sense because it says here that he's preaching the word. Uh, Billy Graham, preaching, an oratorical style of uh, kind of dynamic, and it's all about come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. Uh, we, we consider that preaching. Uh, but actually, it can involve more than that. You can be teaching in that preaching. And then when, a, when you're teaching and you get a little bit uh, centered on the gospel, and then you're also really preaching. And so they're used both ways, even though in English we sort of have our understanding of what that is. And now it says he preached the word. The word becomes a nickname. It's a truncated form of the word of God. And so we already know what he was saying because it already told us in Mark chapter 1, Jesus began to preach repent for the kingdom of God is near, because the king was near, right? So to preach the word means here, primarily, the things concerning getting right with God, how to get right with God, how to make it to heaven, how to avoid a place that Jesus calls hell, something the shack does not believe in. Oh, they didn't tell you that part. Okay, moving on. <laughs> There was a good O there, not going to lie. All right, so uh, he's preaching the word. He, he's telling them about the life. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. The gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. And that's what he was doing there. Now, you know, um, really, the people were hanging on his every word. They, the crowds are there to hear him preach. And of course, it didn't hurt that he could uh, heal their bodies as well. Uh, but the, his words amazed them. Can you imagine a preacher, God himself, who spoke and made the worlds? We know Jesus spoke because the Bible says, by Christ, all things that exist have their being, that he created all things. Can you imagine the God who created all things being speaking his truth to your heart? No wonder the people were so amazed. No wonder there was no room to get in. It's finally a guy talking that was saying, hey, I'd like to quote this famous rabbi. He's like, you've heard it said to you X, Y, and Z, but I say to you, the amazing thing about that is he's quoting, quoting the Old Testament. Jesus quotes the Old Testament and says, hey, you heard it said, you know, uh, don't commit adultery. But let me tell you what I meant when I wrote that. <laughs> That's exactly what he's saying. And he says, uh, what I meant was, when you're lusting in your heart, 
you're committing adultery. So nobody here think, well, I've never committed adultery. Oh, really? You haven't? See, so Jesus in his earthly ministry is trying to stir up a little conviction that they need to be saved. So just because you didn't actually commit the deed, Jesus is saying, you've heard it said this, but let me explain to you. But I say to you. So people were like, whoa, who is this guy? You know, he speaks in my heart. All the locks go and the chains fall off. I mean, that's the way it is. That's the way it was for me. That's what saved me. I, I, my heart got speared through, harpooned, 19 years old, running from God with all the energy a teenager could muster, who loved his sin and never heard of Jesus before, but kind of felt like he was on my case. And I, my father, my Jewish dad, had already fallen and become one of these Christians. And my sister was flirting with the idea. It's like, oh, I got to get out of here. And I moved to the city to get away from God. And I found out, whoa, he's already here. <laughs> uh, but I'm riding on a bus, Market Street, going to work. Never forget it. I worked in the financial district <laughs> as a bank teller. And uh, on the way there, I felt like somebody took their finger, turned my chin, directed my eyes out the window to fall on a church marquee that said, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. And I moved to this day 36 years later because it's the first time that I heard, my soul heard. And uh, for a long time, I couldn't get that out of my head. It was like a golden arrow. <laughs> Bingo. And I knew some church lady didn't write those words. <laughs> I knew they weren't words from some pastor. It wasn't Mark, Mark Flynn. What, what am I thinking? Mark Twain <laughs> or Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> I knew the difference. My soul went, whoa, that's a voice we've never heard before. And it was really hard to resist or explain away. I thought I managed to do it anyway. Um, but yeah, the word of God. One more quick little thing. My favorite, John 7, where the Sanhedrin said, go arrest him and bring that madman back. So they go out to the temple courts where the madman <laughs> is doing his thing. Come to me, all who are weary, and I, not God, I will give you rest. So they come back empty-handed, and the authorities say, where is he? Why are you disobeying order? We told you to go and get that guy. Bring him back. And they say, have you heard him? <laughs> have you just stopped to listen to him? Because we went, we're like, hey, there he is over here. And Jesus is looking and saying, come to me. Oh who are weary. I'm just like, oh, whoa. <laughs> I've never heard that tone. I never heard that warm power. I've never, whoa, I just, until you hear it, you can't explain that to anybody. And so there they are. No wonder nobody can get in the house because they all want their hearts set free. They all want the rest that only God can give. And so there's no room left, your verse says, not even in the courtyard. And here come the five guys making a beeline for Jesus, carried along by uh, four friends. Now, faith in action. 
everybody, I got faith, I got faith, I got faith. And we didn't need Jesus to say, or the word to say, seeing, look at your text, seeing their faith. Well, of course Jesus saw the faith and so did everybody else. Everybody else who saw them going, wow, they're believers. How did they know they were believers? Because they're out there saying, oh, I'm a believer, I'm a believer. No, they didn't have to say anything. You look at somebody's life who's got all this compassion and zeal. Uh, there's somebody in there that's going to make a difference in our hearts. He's speaking the truth. We're going to get this guy there. He's in need. He has the power to make a difference in this man's life, and we're going to get there come hell or high water. Oh, everybody can point to their lives and say they're believers. Let other people see your faith through your good deeds. That's what James says. James chapter 2 says, how can you show me your faith if you don't have any good deeds? All you do is talk about it. I don't see any evidence in your life. Well, you're a believer? No, he says, I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. That's what James says. And so this is what's happening here. I see people who want to bring a friend in need to Jesus. I see them pressing through obstacles. And my friend, there will always be obstacles to get to God. Always. They start in our own brains and our own sinful, self-centered hearts. And then there may be a, a family member or a best friend or a book or a movie or whatever it is that's going to stumble you. But true faith, true faith says, I'm getting to Jesus and nothing. My father, my mother, my employer, you going to kill me? Go ahead. Take me to Jesus. Nothing stops the person of faith, and nothing stops a person of faith from carrying, carrying somebody and saying, you need Jesus. He's got what you need. I'm taking you there because I care. Because why? Because I've got faith. All this I got faith stuff, just let your life tell us that you have faith. Yeah, some people saw the crowd. Well, why bother I'll never get through this. What a blessing would have been forfeited by somebody who just won't press through. There's something in the way, and we don't have enough faith or devotion or zeal or commitment to God to get past that speed bump. Well, they're going to Christ, and they're taking their friend and this obstacle is unacceptable. So which one was it? Which one was it? I'm going to ask them because you're going to meet them. I'm going to ask them, which one of Who was the guy who's like, they're sweating. They're so disappointed. They're like, oh, man, we can't get. There's no way. People are like, yeah, you step over here. You're going to need more than a stretcher. You know, nobody wanted to give them cuts. Everybody else had needs, right? And so who was the guy who, who's looking at the house? Let me show you like a, a rude, crude kind of thing. At least you got the picture. Who was the guy who said his eyes fell over here? And he's like, okay. Oh, his eyes are going up here. And his eyes are going, oh, because he's in here. Oh, oh. If we, oh, if we make coal, make coal, get ropes, pull down. Who was he? I can't wait to meet him. But he's the one who said, come on, I got an idea. And everybody's like, whoa. Whoa, we're pulling. 
So we follow the guy up there. Maybe it was a group effort, right? Well, that see, I need to see all of this play out for me like on a video. And I'm going to ask the Lord because it's pretty stupendous. Listen, I've been interrupted in the middle of a sermon by many things. <laughs> Babies cry, people pass out. Um, when we were in Sebastopol, uh, a madman came bursting through the doors. I'm in the middle of a point, and a madman comes in and just starts raving about politics and crazy things and the Ten Commandments. And, and I said to him, which I didn't remember saying, and, and my son said, Dad, do you remember what you said to him? And I said, no, I didn't say that. And, but he said, oh, yes, you did. You said, you saw the guy and you said, hey, is there anybody with bigger biceps than me? Can you deal with him? <laughs> I, I just needed a strong guy to go take care of business. He's in there back ranting and raving, you know. So last Sunday, we had a hailstorm. And so for like two minutes, we're like, is this the end of the world? Or? I have never had somebody like a chainsaw and then, you know, debris, debris falling and then a guy being lowered saying, hey, uh, I forgot to spring forward. Can I, <laughs> can I spring down? <laughs> yeah, no, that has never happened to me. And so I just want you to see the faces. First of all, there, he's preaching. He's on, in a sermon. And I want you to hear how God is, God is speaking and you hear the thuds up there. And it's like one of the ushers is like, <laughs> right? So they go up there and it's like, what are you guys doing? And then what happens? Bits of dirt start falling down, showering people's heads. Now people have realized what's happening. You hear, <laughs> and then light, you know, a big clot of dirt down and then light streaming in. It's like they're putting in a sunlight, you know, or a sunroof. <laughs> so they, they, the Bible says in the Greek, they unroofed the roof <laughs> and then dug through. Two ways your text says of that. Thank you. You can go back to the text. And down comes the guy. Nobody's talking about the damage, the price to repair, when they're going to repair it, and nobody seems to care, including Jesus. Because what's more important is not the stuff. I can imagine one of them saying, what are we doing? We're ripping up Peter's roof, you know? This is going to cost him. The other guy says, I'm good at this. I'll fix it this afternoon. Let's get him down there, you know? Who's going to pay for it? Well, take an offering. Shut up, you know? Just, we got to get, what's more important? The only ones down there that care are the little hip, hypocritical Pharisees taking note. Who's paying for all this damage? Unbelievable. I have a story about this. We were on a church, oh, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever. A different denomination, uh, totally. I had just led some young man to the Lord. I asked him what he did, and he said, I'm an heir. I don't have to work. He says, I have a house in Pacific Heights, and I have a house in Manhattan. And I said, oh, that's that must be nice. And he said, and I'm miserable. That's why I'm in church. You got something to help me? And I said, yeah, I do. And I spent a long time with him. 
And he lit up like a Christmas tree. He says, that's exactly what I need. That's exactly. It's been a couple of years I've been thinking about doing this. Yes, I need Jesus. And I led him to the Lord. Well, tears and everything. It's like, oh, now I have everything. You know, now I have what I need. And in walks an usher. It was a new add-on to the church. And let's call the usher Paul, because that's his name. <laughs> and the kid, the young man, he's like 30, you know. We're standing there, and uh, John has a cup of coffee in his hands. And the usher's beelining to him with a real scowl. And I'm like trying to cut him off at the pass, like, dude, dude. Paul, he just became a Christian. He just became a Christian. And he goes, almost like, that's not the important thing. This carpet. You want to know how much this carpet costs? I was like, Paul, Paul, listen, John just became a Christian. And, and, and now he's, look how happy he is. Look at this. It's just, it's, you know what's important? You know, that we are good stewards, okay? That we're good stewards. And he just read him the riot act. You know, who's paying for this roof? We'll take care of the roof, sir. There's a human soul on the line. How often do you get the Son of God visiting in your house? You know, let's take advantage of the moment. God, who spoke the worlds into being, is making a house call, and he's open for business. We're getting this dude down there, roof or no roof, amen? Amen. And so Jesus didn't seem to mind. So now there's a hush. Jesus looks down, and you know he's smiling. I know he's smiling. How could you not? He looks down at the guy. He looks up at the guys. And then the whole place, you could hear a pin drop. And we're waiting. What's going to happen? Right there. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, what is this guy talking like that? He's blaspheming. Who could forgive sins but God? Well, let's talk about this provocative claim of Jesus. The religious folks who are trained, they know exactly what Jesus is claiming. He's saying, I'm equal to God in every way. I can forgive sins. He says, I forgive you, my son. Now, they know that only God can do that, so they're uh, stumbled, all right? Here's what Jesus is saying. Everybody in the room, you think it's a spinal cord that's the problem. You think his big issue is that he can't walk. Oh, no, 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 no. The big problem here is, is that he's estranged from God. His sins have separated him from eternal life. That inside his heart, he's paralyzed and lame by fear and the tyranny of sin and death and guilt and condemnation. He can't walk on the inside. And we got to deal with that first because the spiritual is always the more significant. We always come to God with a felt need Oh, we come to God. Oh, I've got this terrible diagnosis or my husband or wife just left me. And that ushers us into the feet of Jesus. And we're laying there in our lameness saying, fix it, fix it. And he's like, okay, now I'm going to tell you a real problem. 
you need me. And that's how half the people in this room got saved. He took one of our lame problems that we thought was the big problem, and we, we came here, fix me, help me with this thing. And he goes, aha, let me tell you the good news. Your sins can be forgiven. And that's how he got most of us here. But, you know, God always looks at the core, the, the, the spiritual problem. Well, there's, there's two issues here. Let's talk about them. One is it's a twist in the event here, uh, for sure. Everyone's expecting something else, including the four guys, the five guys, right? Uh, so uh, were they initially disappointed? <laughs> They're like, oh, my, he's smiling. Here we go. Let's hear. It's going to happen. And then he says, my son, your, your sins are forgiven. Come on, Jesus. I want to walk. I appreciate your, your good news and the gospel, but I want to walk. I didn't come for a Sunday school lesson, Rabbi. Oh, man, I'm happy about hearing this, and my heart is stirred, but I really kind of had my, my hopes that I would walk. And Jesus' point is this. What good would it do for me to raise you up and, and let you walk, and then, spiritually speaking, walk straight out at the end of your life when, when God requires your life of you, for you to walk straight off the cliff and into what the Bible calls, not the shack, the Bible calls the, and I'm serious, the Bible calls it a bottomless pit. What good would it be? What good would it be if he heals your marriage and you perish? What good will it be if he fixes your finances and you never learn how to budget in the first place? Or that when he does deal with you about the root cause of your financial problem, which you always will do, that you don't have a relationship with God. So that's the point of the story, first of all, is that our greatest need is spiritual. And that is why Christ came. And that is why we're out doing spiritual first. We don't go out and say, oh, we're going to go build houses, and we're going to go feed the poor, and we're going to... No, 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 no. That's called the social gospel. Uh, you want to feed somebody? That's very nice. But if it's not in Jesus' name and they don't connect and they don't get saved, you fed them, and then what? You missed your opportunity and they perish. So the idea is go out, preach the gospel in all the world, and meet their needs, their physical needs as well. But don't do this because you don't want to waste anybody's uh, time. And so the second problem is that the Pharisees are doing the math because they're theologically correct. They know that only God can forgive sins. And they've done the math and they're saying, you make yourself equal to God. Well, it would have been blasphemy. Blasphemy means to insult in the most irreverent way the sacredness of God willingly, knowingly, and intentionally. That's blasphemy, right? So they're saying, here's this guy, a man, a human being, putting himself on the same footing as God, speaking in first person. You might as well say, I forgive you. I know your sin is against God, but yeah, me, God, I and the Father are one. So John chapter 10, the Jews say to him, the leaders say, who do you think you are? If you're the Christ, 
Why keep us in suspense? Just tell us. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I've been telling you, and you're not listening because you're not my sheep. And then he says, listen, I've told you a lot about the Father. And the works I'm doing, I'm showing you the Father. And then Jesus says, I and the Father are one. So they pick up stones to execute him. These are these dudes. And Jesus says, for which of my good deeds are you going to execute me for? And they say, oh, no, we're not going to execute you for a good deed. We're executing you for the same conclusion that we're coming up here. You, a mere man, claim to be equal to God. And he's going to keep claiming that by so many different ways. And at the end of it all, they're going to ask him again the same question. Are you the Messiah? The high priest will say at the end of three and a half years there in the Sanhedrin in the middle of the night after the the rooster already crowed three times. It's been the last supper. They're out in the courtyard, that whole deal. And he's going to say, I charge you by the living God. Are you the Christ, the son of the living God? And Jesus says, yes, I am. And in the future, you will see me seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty on high, coming in the clouds with great glory. And here's what they say. Blasphemy. You have heard it with your own ears. And they use the fact that Jesus is claiming to be equal to God. They get it. That's the claim. As a reason to sentence him to die. Even though... He fulfills all the prophecies. He has not been found guilty of one sin. His speech is like nobody else's speech. He can walk on water, raise the dead, open blind eyes, and prove that he's not just not some megalomaniac with a Messiah complex. So even though, in spite of all that, they harden their hearts. And so they are right, you know? <laughs> They're right. Only God can forgive your sins, right? I mean, think about it. Who established the law that you're breaking? The spiritual law. God. You are God's creation. You belong to God. The law you're breaking is God's law. You're doing it on a planet God made and owns. Uh, If you're sinning against a person, it's a person who was made in the image of God and belongs ultimately to God. So that is why Joseph in the house of Mrs. Potiphar, when Mrs. Potiphar all excited and wants him to come to bed with her, and he says, how could you ask me to do a wicked thing like that and sin against God? Mrs. Potiphar's like, why are you dragging the Lord into this? <laughs> you know, because it's God's law. If you rob your neighbor, it's not your neighbor's responsibility so much. It's the state that established the law who will convict and try and sentence you because it's the state. So, of course, David sins against Bathsheba, and he says, against you and you only have I sinned. Ultimately, our sins are always against God, and he's the only one who can forgive. So they're right about That Jesus is going to just continue to say, I have the authority to forgive sins. I have this authority to say, anybody believes in me, you'll never die. I have the authority to say, I'm the light of the world. Anybody believe in me, you'll never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. 
I have the right to say, I'm the living water. Anybody's thirsty, I can satisfy the longing of every... I, not God. I can satisfy the longing of every living thing. Oh, that's a big claim. You better be able to walk on water and call dead people from the cemetery and have them respond. And you did. Let's finish up here. Well, no. Wait, hold on. Back up. Yeah, let's finish up. <laughs> Just checking. I might have forgot about one little word, you know? We got to cover everything, right? Immediately, Jesus know, knew what was going on. So he says, hey, I got a question for you. All right. He says, let's just talk about that question because it's beautiful. Verse 8, I love this. He says, now, as we finish up here with this account, he says, let me, I want to reason with you. He says, well, what's the problem? Why are you having this evil struggle? There's no sin in my life. I'm proving everything that I'm claiming. I know the Holy Spirit is, is working in you. Why are you resisting? Why are you excusing everything? When light comes and truth comes, you always say, bah, 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 and you go running back here. But maybe, maybe this why are you doing that? That's very dangerous. That's evil. When God is speaking to you and your soul knows this is God, you need to say, yes, Lord. Not unplug your brain, but use your brain and listen and obey. But he's saying, like the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul was saying, was persecuting the church and Christians. And Jesus' first words to him, Paul, isn't it hard to kick against the goads Dude, the goat is what you prod livestock to go the right way. So the Lord is saying to Paul, for years, I've been after you. I'm poking you, poking you with truth and light and situations and all kinds of ways. And you keep saying, get away from me, get away from me. Every time truth comes, you kick back. Every time. Doesn't that hurt? Well, does that sound right to you, Paul? That's what he's doing here. He's saying, I know what you guys are thinking. But you have absolutely no cause to be thinking it. There are some people's hearts that are like, oh, I've been hearing truth and lights coming in and I'm open and oh, I hope he heals him and I, I'm ready and everything that God is doing in their hearts and lives, they're receiving and opening and opening and opening. And then there's the other ones that every time the light comes in, they're closing, they're excusing, they're stepping back. They're not engaging. What's the difference? The difference is heaven and hell. That's the di difference. It, it's just right there. So he says, listen, I don't know reason with you because and, and, I want all men to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. I will that none perish, but all come to repentance. That's God's will. So he's going to graciously say, let's, let's reason together, okay? Which would be easier to say? You just come in and say, your sins are forgiven you, right? Which is, or, now, it would be easier to say, your sins are forgiven, because there's no way you would ever be able to verify, is this guy telling the truth? Did he really just forgive his sins? How would you ever know? That's pretty easy, 
Call a guy in from off the street. Have him come in here and say the same thing I just said. It's very simple. And, you know, you could call a guy in and come in and go, repeat after me. Your sins, son, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. That was so easy. But would it be the same if you looked at his atrophied legs that looked like, oh, wow, those have not been used, okay? Turned up and twisted. And say to him, I say to you, stand up. Start dancing. Pick up this mat. Get out of here. Which would be harder to do? Well, that would be hard because we'd have to, we'd know in 10 seconds whether you really could do what you said you could do. The tangible evidence right there. Oh, we'd know the rubber meet the road done. That would be harder. But just so you know, just so you know, because I love you. You're faking like, oh, I got all these theological issues and details that I've got to work out. I know your heart. I know you like it the way it is right now. You're uncomfortable submitting to a Lord. But I'm going to play the game with you. I'm going to once again give you another either opportunity to come closer or another opportunity to say, I need more time. So he says, so I say to you, I'm going to say the harder thing. And he looks down at the twisted legs, and he looks at the guy, and all four guys are up there going, he's going to say it. I say to you, young man, get up. And the dude stands up. And suddenly, those withered things go, and he's like, what? And you know he's dancing around. He's hopping. He's skipping. He's playing hot scotch outside. Hot scotch. Have you ever heard that game? That's when you're really happy. <laughs> and you know he's skipping all around the Pharisees. You know, he's doing the thing. He gets up, and notice what it says here as we wrap up. He says, in full view of them all. Oh, that says something to me. It was very clear, obvious. He connected with the skeptics. The skeptics saw the whole thing. I'm claiming to be God. I'm claiming I can forgive. I have a personal relationship. He's a son of God. Son. I. God. Equal to God. God the Son. Underneath God the Father. I say to you. Arise. And he stands up. Now. Some of them are done, done deals, signed in. You'll meet them in heaven. How did you get saved? Oh, I was in the house. <laughs> I was in the house. I was sitting there. I had dirt on my head. I was, saw the whole thing. And I'm like, well, here's the moment. Either he is who he says he is or not. And boom, the guy jumped over me. You know, so yeah, that was it. I got saved. That's why I'm here. And others, if you interview them in hell to this day where they are, what happened to you? I said, no. I was mad. I got problems, okay, with God. He's going to come in and do this. I didn't like what he did when I was a teenager. He took somebody out. And yes, I knew it was happening, but I just kept doing this. Judas is sitting there. Three years, Judas sees everything. He hears God in an audible voice. It sees all the miracles. Judas's eyeballs. He manages not to connect with life by what? 
Every single time he just said, well, you know, maybe, maybe he wasn't that bad. He just had a lot of weak ankle problem. Maybe he was an actor. Maybe it was the power of Satan. And he's trying to trick us. Right? That's how Judas kept, to be, kept on being Judas. Every single time God said, pawn to queen three, or whatever it is you do with chess pieces, right? Judas said, oh no, and moved the wrong move. I, we all have this. God says, I want to I heal your lameness. Come on, let's do this. And we make excuses. Let me close with a couple of these little ideas bouncing around in my head. Uh, last building, building number four. I just preached this extensive message and on salvation. And there was a guy uh, I had seen coming for a few weeks. And he was hanging at the door. And I was greeting people and saying goodbye to people. And so there I was talking to him. I engaged him. And, and I said, are you a believer? And he said, no, I'm not. I'm a skeptic. I've been coming to church a long time, but, you know, whatever. So I said, what's your, what's your deal? You know? And he says, well, you know, the dinosaurs and how old the earth is. And he says, but what really bugs me is the pygmies. What about the pygmies? You know? <laughs> the pygmies don't know about Jesus. And you're trying to tell me. And I said, stop. I was in one of those moods. <laughs> and I said to him, just answer this question honestly. Do you really care about the pygmies? Or is this another one of your lame excuses to stay in your comfort zone, keep on living the way you're living, enjoying your sin and your own autonomy? Meaning I can do whatever I want because I don't have a Lord telling me everything to think and do and say. Which is it? And he starts crying. And he says, pray for me, <laughs> pray for me. I'm like, certainly, let's pray. And he received the Lord. He stepped out of those lame excuses. He stood and he felt the forgiveness as a son of God because finally, finally, he stopped playing games. He heard the voice. He responded and was saved. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your great love. And thank you for putting up with our shenanigans. You are, you are patience, Lord. You are long-suffering with us. To our last breath, Lord, if that's what it takes, you will hunt us down and chase us down until we stop kicking against the goads and uh, surrender to life, <laughs> to forgiveness of sins, to resurrection, to eternal life, to the love of God our Father. It's such a terrible thing to be running from all these years. Wow, God, what, what is wrong with us? Well, we thank you for a change of heart, Lord, and how easy you've made it that whosoever puts their trust in me will never be put to shame, says the Bible. We thank you, Lord, for that. Now, there's uh, a lot of people in this room. Maybe a few of you are still on the edge, and you're in the 
crowd and you're, you're still your skeptic self, but you know enough. You know enough. God's done enough. He's proved himself. And he's saying, well, come on. You're not being called to join an organization or a church or Pastor Ross. Nothing. You're responding to the word of God, to Christ himself. Yes, I hear you. Yes, I want to be forgiven. Yes, I want to be a Christ follower. And he'll help you work on the details that follow. If today's your day, you want to become a a Christian and have your sins officially (laughs) dealt with forever, then you just slip up your hand and say, that's me. I'm done. I'm in. Amen. (laughs) I saw a very happy, happy hand go flying up toward the roof. Anybody else want to join our brother? Any hands? Let's repeat this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so lame. (laughs) I'm powerless. I can't save myself from the grave. I can't overcome my sins. I can't clean my soul. I need you for that. I believe in Jesus, that he died for my sins, and I'm going to respond with a change of heart and faith. I give you my life. Please save me so that I can hear the words, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven rise up and live your life in Jesus name amen praise the Lord praise the Lord alright so we saw faith in action right let's see it in our lives and then we saw a provocative claim Jesus the only one who can forgive our sins we simply go to him if we confess our sins he's faithful and just forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then undeniable evidence, which we have a lot of in our lives. He's gotten us this far. Jesus has shown us by his word and his works, the scripture and our very lives of all his promises. They're good. They're good. He's going to come through. He's got the power. Those words are true. And on death's door, where most counts, I was just there with somebody. And he said, I have peace. Because Jesus told the thief on the cross. And he said this with gasping. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And the thief just had a change of mind. And I have a change of mind. And he died. And he's with Jesus. Because Jesus said that day. You'd be with him in paradise. So remember that. His promises are good. There's nothing to be afraid of. Now, Father, we ask you go with us, fill us with this optimism, this hope, and this joy that we have a Savior, and he's forgiven us, and you have plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us a hope in the future. Thank you for being for us, God. Let us rise and live worthy lives. In Christ's name. And all God's people said. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. 
Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.